0: I Have to confess, I uh, in all the hubbub of this morning, I forgot to put on my microphone. So, I to go grab it. Uh, good morning, and welcome to Hope Bible Fellowship. My name is Cal. I'm the pastor here. Really glad to have all of you with us. If you are uh, just joining us online, we want to welcome you. We are thrilled to have you with us. You get all my stuff arranged here. Uh, we are thrilled to have you with us. And if you want to go ahead and just drop us a comment, let us know you're there and and uh, so we can welcome you know if we can pray for you in any way uh, we would love that hey I do have one more announcement that I forgot actually it's my bad I forgot to mention this but uh, Carol Moss's husband is having cataract surgery tomorrow so at nine forty-five, nine 45 so please be praying for him as well and uh, that's a, that's just a real quick like they go in they do it and then you go home right but so anyway just be praying for them as he recovers from that and everything Sometimes it doesn't matter. It seems like it doesn't matter what you have done. Sometimes it can be, uh, you know, a little scary either way. And so, anyway, um, go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. That's where we're going to be camped out this morning. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 24. Today we are, I can't believe it, we are coming to the final sermon in our series, Greatest Sermon Ever, which is our march section by section through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we have said is Jesus' most famous or most well-known block of teaching in the New Testament. And we've been punching through it and hearing uh, Jesus teaching about this whole person righteousness of citizens of the kingdom of God. And last week we heard a warning We heard a warning against false teachers and against following false teachers and how that we can know a good tree or a bad tree by the fruit it produces. In today's passage, Jesus finishes out the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, which he began several verses earlier, um, where Jesus takes this, uh, he makes a point, and then he's going to kind of illustrate it with with a visual, with a story. Uh, And then, and you're going to see him do that a couple of different times here. Now, if you've ever lived in a large city or visited a large city, you know, we're close to Chicago, so maybe you have seen or had a chance to watch a skyscraper under construction or some large structure. Uh, Maybe you've built a house and you have seen it, you know, be built from the ground up. I know I've got a friend on Facebook back in Iowa and she posted pictures of like every step of the process. Uh, of of I kind of got tired of looking at them honestly because I'm not building the house. But anyway, uh, I mean, it was great. Here's the foundation. We got started. Here we moved in. I don't need to see the walls going up. But anyway, I really hope she's not watching this. <laughs> We're going to pray in a minute. <laughs> We're going to pray in a minute. So anyway, if you've 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 been in a large city, you may have seen the skyscraper under construction. But for about six months or so of the project, the workmen. Uh, all they do is they make a great big hole in the ground. And in order to build a tall building, you have to start far below the surface. Now, that seems absurd, maybe even crazy how deep they will dig those, uh, those uh, foundations. But as you would suspect, there's, there's a reason for that large of a hole. If you're going to build a mammoth building, you have to dig down strong enough so the foundation can be built that's capable of supporting a skyscraper. If you're building a doghouse, it doesn't need a foundation, right? Okay, some of you have very big dogs, but still. Uh, A doghouse doesn't have to have a foundation like a skyscraper. But if you want it to stand, if you want it to last against hurricanes or earthquakes or anything, you've got to build it strong. Now, as you build the house of your life, it's crucial that you begin with the proper foundation because judgment will come judgment will come. So the question we want to look at today is will your house stand up to the coming waters of judgment or will it fall down? And that's precisely what we're going to investigate today as we look at Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 29. I would invite you to follow along as I read from the word of the Lord. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And that's where our passage ends. This has been the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, um, I need your help. You know it's been an exhausting week. And I just pray, Lord, that you would, um, you would just speak through your word to your people. Um, Let your word produce in us godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Let it start with me, Lord. And God, may may this be all about you because it is about you. It's for you. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. If there's anything that's just a me in here that, that you would just get rid of it and you would shine clearly through your word and through my voice to the people, Jesus. Help us believe. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Jesus begins, he uses the word everyone. He uses the word everyone. Now, I know we're most, most of us in the room, not all, but most of us have been through elementary school. Okay? And most of us passed. Okay? The word everyone means that Jesus intends this story to apply to. Everyone, anyone who hears his words, anyone who hears these words, this story applies to. Now, in your reading of it or your hearing of it read, then it applies to you as well because you've now heard these words as well. So no one is off the hook here. In verse 24, Jesus refers to these words of mine, and when he says that, he's talking about the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, these words he's just said, right? These words of mine, this teaching of mine. To hear the sermon is not simply to hear Jesus' words, but to actually hear Jesus, to actually hear Jesus. Even recently, I've seen people or I've heard people claim that they well, I mostly just follow the teachings of Jesus, meaning that they disregard uh, the rest of what the Bible says, or they don't hold the rest of Scripture in high regards as as the red letters. Right? Uh, some of you have a Bible that has the red letters of uh, words of Christ in red. Here's the issue with them saying that. Oh, I just follow kind of what I I, I tend to follow. One guy said I tend to follow the teachings of Jesus. And the rest of it, I, he kind of disregards. Well, here's the problem. They're not following Jesus' teachings. Because there is no difference between Jesus' words and the rest of Scripture when it comes to reliability, authority, and sufficiency. And Jesus tells us that he and the Father are one. And if the Bible says it, it's the same as Jesus saying it. And if Jesus says it, then it's the same as the Father saying it because it's all God's word. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bible Thank you. The Bible's not a buffet line where you can just go through and pick what you want and not pick what you don't want. It's like dinner at my house, take it or leave it. Right? You can eat what You can eat what Bethany fixed. Or you can go hungry. That's kind of how it works at our house, right? Now, Some of you think that's terrible. Oh, we're such, such you know. But that's just the way it is. And the, the Word of God is like that. It's the whole counsel of God. And it's put before us, will you believe or will you not believe? And we don't get to pick the parts that are too hard and not believe them. We're actually called to believe stuff. Like, I have to believe stuff even though I'm not smart enough to figure out how it works. Now, there's a lot of stuff... We're explained how it works, right? But there's some stuff at some point, we get to a point, we talked about this last week in our men's group, we get to a point at some point where we have to realize, like, we're not God, and we're not going to come to a full explanation of some of this stuff. But some of it is laid out for us in the Word, and we are responsible, having heard it, we're responsible for what we do with it. Simply hearing, though, simply hearing and even understanding the teaching of Jesus is not sufficient. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a disciple, requires actually putting the teaching of Christ into action. There are not two different classes of Christians. There's not, hey, I'm saved, and then, oh, hey, yeah, this person's a disciple. And like disciples, those who, are, who have been discipled, like they're, they're like an advanced class of Christian, and these other people are just like barely saved, right? That's not a thing. You're either a disciple or you're not. You're a follower of Christ or you're not. There's not, there is not different classes. Now, everybody is on a different, everybody is on a different, uh, you know, a different place in the journey, okay? Some people have been journeying with Christ for a long time and they're very mature in their faith. Some people have been journeying with Christ for very, not very long and they're mature. Some people have been journeying a long time. I've seen people who claim to have been a Christian for you know, 20 years and teach Sunday school, uh, and they're very spiritually immature because they've not been discipled, they've not submitted themselves to that or had someone that trained them in that. What this is not saying, please don't misunderstand, this is not a works-based salvation, but it is saying that those who truly believe will obey out of the trust they have in Jesus. We're to be doers of the word and not just those who hear. So it's not enough for us just to hear and understand it. We actually have to put it into practice. And one of the things Jesus said to his word was, repent and believe the good news. And so we must first repent of our sin and believe the good news of Jesus. We're supposed to be doers of the word, not just those who hear. So James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing in his doing. So when we look at the teaching of Jesus, we are called to do something with it, right? And if you just say, well, I'm not going to do anything, you've responded. That's a response as well, right? So uh, we don't get to just see the teachings of Jesus, hear the teachings of Jesus, and then not respond. You're going to respond affirmatively or negatively. To not respond is to respond, right? And so this brings us to our passage today where we're going to see two houses built on two different foundations by two men. Two houses built by Two foundation, uh, built on two foundations by two men. We must hear Jesus, but we must also do what he says. David Platt writes this. When he says there is a storm coming, he's not talking about what we often identify as the storms of life. You may have heard this passage preached that way before. Those storms are real, and they are painful. Storms like cancer, divorce, disease, losing a loved one. And the Bible certainly addresses them. However, Jesus is referring here to a cataclysmic reality, a final and utterly devastating storm of the future judgment of God. And the question before us is, what is your foundation built on, and will it stand against the coming storm of judgment? And in this passage, there's two men described. The first one is the wise man. I want to make a statement. I didn't make this up, okay? I got this somewhere else. Revelation brings responsibility. Revelation brings responsibility. Those who have had Christ and Christ's teaching revealed to them are then responsible to do something with it. it when, I, when I read that and I was studying for the sermon and putting it together, it reminded me of the very first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. And you guys know I always talk about movies, right? And uh, just a reminder, Me mentioning a movie is not necessarily a recommendation for you to go watch it, although I think you're pretty safe with that one, but uh, maybe not totally, but anyway. Again, not a recommendation, but the first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire, and Uncle Ben tells young Peter Parker, right before Uncle Ben dies, with great power comes great responsibility, and that reminded me of this. With great power comes great responsibility, but I would alter that, with great revelation brings, comes responsibility. God has revealed himself to us in Christ Jesus, and now we're responsible for what we're going to do with that revelation. If we really believe that, and if Jesus truly is God, and Jesus truly did die in our place for our sins on the cross, and he really did raise from the grave, the resurrection is real, as Tim Keller said, I I saw he said on Twitter this week, "If if the resurrection is true, everything's going to be all right. If all of this is really true, and we really believe it, then we have a response. And and if we believe it, it's because God has revealed it to us, right? Then we're responsible for what we do with that revelation. We're responsible for how we build our house. The word here that's translated wise in the Greek is phronimos, and it it appears, that's a funny-sounding word, I kind of laugh saying phronimos, Uh, Sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings. Anyway, it appears seven times in the book of Matthew. Now, most frequently, it's used describing one who wisely gets ready for the coming of the Messiah. Charles Quarles, who I've talked about before, he points out that they do this, they get ready for the coming of Messiah by faithful service and obedient living. Now, we would say it is wise to be prepared for Jesus' return, the end times judgment, or your uh, eventual passing. But the wise do this by faithful service and obedient living. The wise man's house was built on the bedrock as opposed to using soil or sand for the foundation of his house, right? What do you do in a house? A house is where you live, right? It's where your life kind of takes place is, is at home in your house, where you live. It's what you dwell in. It's where you retreat into. And here we have a guy who's building the place where he will dwell, the place where he will find refuge. He's building that on solid, firm foundation of rock. It's not going anywhere. That's the first man, the wise man. But then you have the guy described as the foolish man, the foolish man. Jesus describes anyone who hears the words that he's been saying but does not obey them or put them into practice as being like a foolish person who builds his house on the sand. Um, look, I know we're landlocked here, but some of you I know have been to the beach. Have you ever built a sandcastle on the beach? Now, when I go when I go look at sandcastles, like on you know if you Google them or whatever, you're going to see these. I mean, I've seen some amazing sandcastles being built. We. You know, I grew up in Iowa where we don't have a whole lot of beaches, that might surprise you. Uh, We don't have a whole lot of beaches unless they're on a lake, right? And, uh, but at the Iowa State Fair, they would have this like sand castle, like sand sculptures and they would have all of these just amazing things built out of sand, right? But a sand castle when I was a kid was, we had a bucket and we filled the bucket with sand and we packed it down and we turned it over and then we took it up and it left the shape of the bucket and that was our sand castle, Right? That was, that was our sandcastle, but if you ever built a sandcastle on the beach, kind of out where the water eventually comes up, what happens when the tide comes in? Your sandcastle's destroyed, it gets washed away, it looks like a sad lump of just wet sand, right? Or just is washed completely away. So even for a small structure like a sandcastle, sand is shown to be a really shoddy foundation, Now, knowing that, would any of you spend uh, the money on on lumber, which is a lot of money these days, right? Would any of you spend the money, all that money on lumber and other supplies and take that precious gold-priced lumber and begin building your dream home on a foundation of sand? No, you wouldn't because that would be a waste. It would be a waste of all of that. But that's what Jesus is saying you're doing if you hear his words and you don't do them. If you hear his teaching and you just come to church year after year, day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, I about fell over there. I'm really glad that's captured on the internet for all to see. Um, And and you you come and you hear and you sit in Bible study in men's group and women's group and, well, probably not both, but you sit in Bible study groups and small groups and you listen to preachers on, on the Internet or on TV and you hear all of this stuff and you hear the Word of God proclaimed and you never do anything with it, you never act on it, you're never obedient to it, then you're being foolish. You're building your house on sand because the truth is being presented to you and you're not doing anything with it well, pastor, that's pretty harsh. Well, it's in the Bible. If you're mad, you're mad at Jesus, not me. So harsh sounding or not, how unloving for me to see this, for us to see this in you and not tell you about it, not warn you about it. How unloving. You know, there's this there's this video going around. I didn't plan to share this, but there's this video that went around a few years ago. There's these uh, guys out in Las Vegas that do, uh, okay, I'm going to quote magic shows. It's sleight of hand trickery, right? Uh, Penn and Teller, okay? One's a big guy. Well, he was a big guy. He's a tall guy. And the other's a short little guy, right? And the big tall guy's got the, the ponytail and everything. Anyway, and that was kind of their shtick, right? And Penn, the, the big guy, Penn Jillette, was a is a well-known atheist, just, I mean, hardcore, angry atheist. And um, there's a video he did several years ago, and you can find it on YouTube, and it's his like video uh, blog, his, his vlog, if you will. Um, and he talks about this guy that came up to him after a show. He said, hey, I, you know, really enjoyed the show, I'm a big fan, and he handed him a little like a Gideon pocket Bible, the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs, right? And Penn talks about how, you know, he said, this guy was so kind and, and just appreciative of the show, just a fan. And he gave that to me and he said, I don't blame him for trying to proselytize me, okay? He didn't, he didn't blame him for trying to evangelize him. He said, if you believe, because this guy doesn't believe, and again, you could go watch this video for yourself, but if you believe that, that if I... I'm going to spend eternity in torment and suffering in hell, and you have a way to get out of that, and you don't share it with me? How unloving is that? And he was genuinely kind. He kept saying this guy was genuinely kind, and he was humble, and he was genuinely... And he said... I just thought about, you know, if, if, a, if, if you're walking in the street and a bus is coming and it's going to hit you and I'm there and I see it and I have time to get you out of the way and I know that you're for sure going to be dead and I don't grab you out of the way, I can't say I love, I'm loving you. It's, it's a powerful, powerful video. And so sometimes we share hard truths. We do it with love. We do it with compassion, with gentleness, with respect. But we let the word of the Lord stand, and we are held responsible for the word of the Lord that we hear. Hell will be harsh, and we don't want people to end up there. Now, a word on the storm that's mentioned here. Some of you have heard, as I said earlier, that that this passage is preached about the storms of life come against your house that you've built. And if, if your house is built on Jesus, then it will stand and it will not fall when disease and death and the storms come against you. But I believe, and now I believe that's a true statement. I just don't believe that that's primarily what Jesus means here when he's talking about the storm coming against you. Again, I think you could say those things um, from the Bible, that, that you will be able to stand up against suffering and, and your faith will be strong. But, but here, we need to understand something about storms in the Bible. A storm was a familiar image for end times judgment in the Old Testament. So even in the Old Testament, a storm was, was looked at as, a, as an image for end times judgment, the, the, the last days, right? The judgment, the ultimate judgment. And this follows through in the New Testament as well. So I'm going to show you a couple of places, Old Testament, and and we're going to take a look at that and then move into the New Testament. Jeremiah 23, 19 through 20 says, "...behold the storm of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly." Jeremiah thus Jeremiah the Lord. <clears throat> thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster is going forth from nation to nation, and a great tempest is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. And in <clears throat> the prophet Isaiah, chapter 28, 16 through 22, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand when the overwhelming scourge passes through you will be beaten down you will be beaten down by it as often as it passes through it will take you for morning by morning it will pass through by day and by night and it will be sheer terror to understand the message for the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in for the lord will rise up as mount Perizim, as in as on mount parazim as in the valley of gibeon he will be roused to do his deed, strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien is his work. Now, therefore, do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong, for I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. And he goes on, he speaks of it in Isaiah chapter 13, 10 through 16 we're not going to read that whole thing. If you want to just jot that down, we're not, we're not going to go uh, through that whole passage. We're going to skip forward to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 24, 37 through 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Danny Aiken writes, Jesus warns his listeners by saying, You deceived yourself into thinking you will be ready and you are not. You thought listening was enough. You thought superficial allegiance, casual and comfortable Christianity would suffice. But on that day you will discover you were wrong. It's, it's a bleak warning, right? It's a loving warning, though. Look, you may go to church a lot. You may, uh, you may claim Christ. You may post about Jesus on Facebook. You may listen to Christian music on the radio. But if we're not hearing the words of Christ and putting them into practice out of a heart that is already His... What does that say about whether, who we belong to, whether we belong to him or not? So there's these two houses built by these two guys on two foundations, right? right? You got a wise man, you got a foolish man. And those, the storm comes, and there's two outcomes when the storm comes, two different outcomes. When Jesus mentions the flood coming... We need to think flash floods, okay? This is not something you have a lot of warning for, or in some cases any, right? In the dry climate of Palestine, the rain would come, and the ground would be unable to hold all the water that would come so fast, and then there'd be these sudden floods that would just spring up and would happen in a flash, hence the term flash floods. We're a little familiar with those around here, especially living near a river. But it starts raining, and before you know it, the winds are gusting against the house, and suddenly there's a flood, and your house either stands or falls. And the two men in this illustration have very different outcomes. One, the wise man, his house stands. One stands. The man described as wise is the one who does the words that Jesus says. His house stands in the midst of the judgment of God. He's shown through his obedience that he's believed the words that Jesus says his obedience has proved that he believed Jesus. He's shown in his obedience that he's a subject of the king and a citizen of the kingdom. And we could never earn this citizenship, for it is given by grace. And his overwhelming gratitude for the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in his place drives a man like this to serve the Lord in faithful obedience. And that man, the wise man, is prepared For judgment, he's prepared to meet the Lord face to face. That one stands. There's another outcome, one for the foolish man. His house falls. His house falls. And the Bible says, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. He faces divine judgment on no, sheer, no strong foundation. The foolish man has heard the words of Jesus, but he's not acted on what he has said. And he shows by not acting on what Jesus has said that he's not prepared for the divine judgment. And the results of that are his house falls and great was its fall. Proverbs 12.7 says, The wicked are overthrown and are no more but the house of the righteous will stand. In Proverbs 14, 11, it says, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. So we end this little section by saying, listen to the words of Jesus, hear the words of Jesus. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Right, Wives? hear, listen, and obey the words of Jesus. And that, must be, that must come first from a heart that is His, and that obedience will be a sign, because He enables that obedience. He makes you desire obedience. The Spirit living within you, if you know Jesus, will cause you to desire obedience. But then we have, in verse twenty and 29, this end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches from authority. Verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes the crowds recognized Jesus' authority. They recognized that this teaching is something that has power. It has authority. Now, his teaching was not based on the interpretation or work of other rabbis as was common in that day. Instead, Jesus spoke prophetically on God's behalf. He spoke on God's behalf. And the Greek word here that, that, uh, that for uh, we're amazed the Greek word that's used for "were amazed describes being amazed to the point of being overwhelmed. To bring it into modern parlance, right? His teaching blew their minds. It blew their minds. The things he was saying it reminds us of John chapter 7 verse 46 that says, The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man they'd never heard anything like this. They'd heard Pharisees or rabbis, they'd heard them, uh, them kind of give teachings of the interpretations of other rabbis. But Jesus was and is, like, unlo- is unlike any teacher ever, because his authority resides not in someone else, his authority resides in himself. He doesn't appeal to someone else's teaching, as many did, appealing to those rabbis. He himself has the very words of God, and it blew their minds. He even contrasts his teachings with their teachings by statements like, You have heard that it was said, but I tell you, It needed to be clear that Jesus was claiming that he had the very words of God, the words of life. Jesus was not preaching the Sermon on the Mount so that people could marvel at his skills as a great orator or a great communicator. He was preaching to produce obedience in his hearers. Charles Spurgeon said, He spoke royally. The truth itself was its own argument. And demonstration. He taught prophetically as one inspired from above. Men felt that he spoke after the manner of one sent of God. It was no fault on their part to be astonished, but it was a grave crime to be astonished and nothing more. So it was good that they were astonished. They were amazed by his teaching. It was good that this teaching blew their mind. But if all they were was astonished and didn't do anything with it, then they were at fault. Because we must not set and be only astonished. We must be astonished to the point that we change our behavior. The words Jesus spoke were and are amazing. They're authoritative. But now it passes to us. We've heard the true teaching of the true teacher. The question is, will we obey his authoritative teaching and live as the wise man, or will we continue in our own way and be wrecked when the storm comes, when judgment comes? If we only set and are amazed at the teaching, but we don't do anything about it, we're not prepared for the end. But if we hear his words and we put them into practice doing them, Then we will be building a house on a firm foundation that will stand. And Jesus will carry us into eternity with him. So my question today is, the musicians work their way to the front. Uh, My question is this, where are you at? Where are you at today? On what is your foundation built? How, if you say, Pastor, my foundation is firmly in Jesus Christ who died for my sin in my place. I've trusted in Him, and I'm walking with Him. I'm trying to grow day by day. And you'd say that. Then my question to you is, how is your level of obedience? Are you fully surrendered to His will and His way as outlined in the Scripture? Or do you by your life betray that you may not even belong to the King and His kingdom? Look, I'm not saying you have to live a perfect life, because I don't want… what I don't want is I don't want you to have you know, committed some sin yesterday and you feel horrible about it, you come here and you hear the pastor say, you might not be a Christian. I mean, I I don't know if that's true or not. But what is your level of obedience like in your everyday life? Are you fully surrendered to His will and His way as outlined in Scripture? Or does your life betray the truth about you and where you're at with God? You can be sure that you belong to Him. Because, see, here's the thing. It would be really, I think, irresponsible of me to just say, wow, you've either got a good foundation or a bad foundation. Good luck. Have fun in judgment. That would be really irresponsible and unloving. The loving thing is for me to say, here's some really good news. No matter where you're at, this is good news we all need to hear. There's a good and holy God A creator who loves us, but also loves justice and mercy. He loves his holiness. He is for himself and he is for our good. And this God created the world. And he created you and me. And man sinned. And when that first man, Adam, sinned in the garden, we got sin nature sin entered the world the great fall and corrupted the creation god had created it good and man sinned and sin came into the world and that sin separated us from god and it made it so all of our houses would fall when the storm came right it made it so we were all in line of the wrath of god because the bible says that the wages of sin is death right And so we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And that's where we're at as people if we just live our lives and don't acknowledge Christ. But God. God knew that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Something had to die to pay the price for sin. And so he sent Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. 100% man, 100% God. And he came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He was confronted with sins as we are, and he did not give in because he he did not have a sin nature. He was perfect. He was holy. He was pure and set apart. And he willingly gave his life on a cross. That is a horrible, one of the most horrible deaths you could imagine, the most humiliating deaths you could imagine. And he did that and absorbed the wrath of God that was due you and was due me. Took that upon himself, and in doing so, gives us, those who've trusted in him, his righteousness, his very right standing before God put on us, and he died. And three days later, he arose from the grave, proving that he was redeeming us, proving that what he said was true, proving that he was God, and proving that God accepted his perfect sacrifice as payment once and for all for all of our sin and for all those who trust in him they can have eternal life they can build a house on a sure foundation on a foundation that will stand through judgment and will stand through eternity so do you know jesus have you ever trusted that jesus some people say they don't believe in god and i really want to know which god they've heard about because that might not be a god i believe in either I believe in the God of the Bible. Sometimes they they got another one in mind, right? Jesus spent the Sermon on the Mount showing us what it means to truly be a follower of His. He showed us the blessed life of those who are part of the kingdom and how this whole person righteousness that He speaks of, that He wants for us, it gives us little glimpses, little previews of the not yet part of His already but not yet kingdom. It has been a long journey through the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been hard at times, but there's great joy when we realize the good news of the gospel and the surrender of living life in the way of Jesus. Would you pray with us? I'm going to ask Dana to lead us in a word of prayer.